I'm going to uh, turn my thoughts to this question from Psalm 2, and as a way of sort of introducing what this psalm was about, which which these folks read, um, I was thinking about our my car. My car has a no, makes a noise. Uh, it's just when you're braking, and it's just every once in a while. It can go days with no noise, and everything sounds great. And then once in a while, when you hit the brakes, there's a grinding and a rumbling, and sometimes a squealing noise in one of the wheels. Thankfully, it's on the passenger side. And uh, <laughs> but it's it's quite a it's just quite a troublesome sounding noise and the quality of that noise it's very clear this is friction we have had it to the mechanic i think three times try to figure this thing out they've said your brakes are fine your wheel is fine there's nothing that we can find of course you know how it is you go to the mechanic they, it never makes the noise that it makes when it's with just you and your wife and I'm beginning to suspect it's just her making noise because they because they can never find it. She's probably sitting over there and she's got a contraption that makes this noise. I don't know, but uh, my point with the noise thing is that friction makes noise because friction builds heat. Whatever the scenario, whatever the the kind of equipment or machine or anything else, the the more friction you get, the more heat begins to build and seize and, can, and, and cause contention and resistance, then often there's noise. Uh, you know, if it's metal especially, you get a squealing and a screeching and so forth. And so, um, when I read these verses in Psalm chapter 2, Psalm number 2, which the, these folks read for us earlier, it, it just, I don't know for some reason, it always makes me think um, of God looking down almost upon the earth and saying, what is all the noise about? Because the picture, the situation that's pictured there is one of rage and resistance. Um, Years ago, many years ago, it was in the 1980s. I'm not sure exactly what year it was, but Reagan was president. So that tells you how long ago it was. Cindy and I were down in D.C. I believe we went to uh, see there were fragments of the Dead Sea Scrolls that the country of Israel released for the first time in history to go on an exhibition tour. And uh, I was excited to go and see those little tiny fragments of scroll that had been written prior to and during the lifetime of Jesus. And uh, I think it was during that particular episode, we were walking down the street in D.C., Cindy and myself, and we saw ahead of us, about three or four blocks, there were people milling around, just milling all around, and, and people were coming into this, and, and I had the bright idea, I bet it's the president. I bet the president's out. And crowds are coming to get, catch a glimpse of the president. I said, let's go down here and see what all the commotion is about. So we walked down, and as we got closer, this, this milling about turned into a noise. And it was almost like this ugly roar sound. And, and as we got uh, within, say, a block or so, I began to have a very different sense of reality. I realized this is not the president. We had stumbled into a... Uh, a gay rights uh, 
march, a, a gay rights demonstration, a rally. And uh, these people were mad, and they were yelling and screaming and raising their, vo- their, their arms and, you know, and so forth. And I don't know what it was all about or what all the, the details of it, but it was a lot of noise. And the reason that it was a lot of noise is because there was a bunch of people there who were mad, who were angry. And so uh, the question that the psalmist writes at the beginning of, his, of, of this psalm what is it, what's all the noise about? And the answer that is there and he's, that he's, what he's observing is, well, all this noise is a symptom of rage, of resistance. The nations, and by that he's not just talking about the elected officials, but by and large the governments, the leaders as a whole, the, the, the just the direction of the culture of these different nationalities and places, they're on their own power trips. These people make a lot of noise to get where they are, and then when they're there at the top of the heap, they certainly don't want to look up and see somebody above them that has expectations over them. And so they're going to make a lot of noise in resistance. As as I said, going back to my car wheel or whatever it is, if something, is, if something is resisting, there's going to be friction. And when there's friction, there's heat and there's angst. Which, if you, if you translate that into the emotional side of life or the relational side of life, of course, it just, it just means that when something isn't going well, I start to get hot under the collar. I start to get bothered. I start to get mad, and then eventually I'm going to start yelling, or it's just going to build and build. And this is the scenario that he's really describing in Psalm 2. And he says, look, this is what God sees when he looks down to say, what's all the noise about down there? What is, what is all the screeching and yelling that I hear on planet Earth? And he says, well, you see nations on their own power trips, doing anything to get or maintain power. Uh, you know, when there's, uh, when, when, whether it's nations or groups that go from ra- resistance to rage to rebellion, even to rioting and war, it's, war is noisy. There's a lot of explosions, there's a lot of, of violent screaming and yelling and and, and I mean no, war is not quiet war is loud and it's a and it's an ugly noise an aggressive noise and so he says God looks down and he sees nations on their own power trip he sees groups advancing their own agenda he sees rulers making policy lawmakers making laws that really are, they're, they're not interested in the good of the people. They're not interested in bringing um, um, actual good relationships between people as much as they are their own interests and their own benefits. That he's simply saying, as a, using this as a way of saying, the noise is this. Here's what the noise really is that God hears coming up. God hears the noise of everybody down here practically just pursuing their own self-gratification in some way or another. 
simply bent on whatever it is they want, whatever catches their eye, whatever they would like, and therefore highly resistant and noisy and protesting against anything that would be different from that. And, and so that's the picture that he draws, that the noise is a rebellion. That's what the noise is. The noise is a war going on. <clears throat> and here is the essence or the heartbeat of what he says this rebellion is. He specifically mentions in Psalm 2, verse 2, the Lord, that's the first part, and his anointed one, that's the second part, which we say two parts that are really one part, because we believe from all the rest of the scripture we can interpret together that God is three parts in one, that somehow, I shouldn't say it that way, he's not three parts, but he expresses himself in three distinctions, and that these are, in essence, all one, even though they act with us and they have different roles to play with us in a different capacity. And so, he says, you know, um, up there above us is the Lord, and down here with us, and I take it probably that this psalm, which I take it would be from King David, and King David, as you know, was God's anointed one for his day and his time. He was a man after God's own heart. He was, he, he was um, God's Messiah on the spot. This term Messiah or anointed one is used different times in the Old Testament, not only of the coming one who would be Jesus, but even of earthly rulers in times where God set aside someone for a task and says, I have anointed you, I have chosen, I've handpicked you, I have designed you for this task. You are my anointed one. You are the one, you're the right person for the right job. And so David is saying, look, maybe he's referring to himself a bit, I'm not sure, but here in this time and place, God has a messenger. We have a word from God. We know someday in the future there will be an ultimate word from God. But against this person and this, this, against this chosen one, the Lord and His chosen one, who he turns around in a moment and says, it's really his son. These people are in rebellion. And it's, it's not just their refusal to acknowledge the person and the, the purpose of Jesus Christ. It is that. But here's the other side or aspect of it that David points out. They, they see, and by they I mean all of us as human beings, this is the tendency that we say that the claim that God wants on, makes on our life, the fact that Jesus came and says, I died for you and now you belong to me. So just admit it and, and go along with it and rejoice in it. That claim is, a, is a, a chain around my neck. I don't want it. It's not just simply that I, I want to rebel against maybe God's setup or his plan. But how it affects me personally, I say, no way. In other words, I want to picture, this is, the, this is the, the lie that sin puts in our heart, that our sinful nature. I, I want to picture God as bad for me. I, I'm allergic to God. 
This is the, the, this is the lie we're fed. And so any restrictions that God would put on my life are unwanted. I want to do what I want to do. And if, and if somehow God wants to lead me and guide me and say, well, here's what's best and here's how you should live, I say, that's just like putting me in handcuffs. That's like an unwanted restriction. That's uh, the, 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 the psalmist uses the word chains. And so he's saying the Lord, as if the picture is that the Lord's listening down and he's saying, well, listen at, listen at all the screeching and grumbling and listen at all the explosions and all the swearing and all the, man, people are really mad. What are they so mad about? Well, they're saying, God's not going to put his chains on me. <laughs> so it's, it's all about, it's all about this, this, at the heart of it, this absolute refusal to give God a place in my life, much less the driver's seat of my life. These, these nations, these people groups, these individuals, say, they're saying, we are rising up against, we're refusing to accept the Lord and His, his plan, His person, the Anointed One, the Messiah, His Son, any restriction that God would put on us is like a chain or a binding. We don't want it. That's the perspective that God realizes. Well, just kind of like Cindy and I when we stumbled into this gay rights rally. We were, we were in the middle of a lot of anger. I mean, you could just feel it. It was palpable. You could just feel the anger that they were trying to express through whatever march or speeches or whatever that, <clears throat> that they were having. Now, the next part of the psalm is... This, the psalmist says, all right, God hears this on all this noise from heaven, realizes there's a lot of friction, there's a lot of heat building up, there's a lot of rage, he's, he's, he's understanding why now, and this is God's reaction. God goes, oof. No, not exactly. Here's what he says. First of all, <laughs> God doesn't even bother to get up from his chair. Just a picture, a posture thing, but it's very revealing. You know, if you're alarmed about something, you'll jump up from your chair, I guarantee you. If somebody, you're sitting in your chair soaking up relaxation and somebody comes running in with some scary news, you'll jump up out of your chair. You'll, you'll say, well, you'll get involved. And then he says, the Lord just maybe looks up, maybe says, do what? They're doing what? They think what? He's not concerned. He doesn't even get up from his seat. He laughs. <laughs> this isn't a funny laugh. It's not like it's a joke. But I think it's more just a laugh of, of utter realization that this is so absurd. That anybody would bother to get mad at him for making a claim on their life. That the creation would have anger back at the Creator or rebellion or defiance against the Creator, God says, ha! It's that kind of a laugh. It's, 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 it's just an absurdity. When I was, uh, some of you have heard me tell this story. I'll just try to sketch it. When I was a senior in high school, one day, it was a very odd situation. Um, normally, I drove a school bus. That particular day, I had to ride a school bus, and it was a, there was some, there was a, a bus or two didn't go on its route or something, and I was a senior, 
And that particular day I had to ride the bus, and when the bus came, my house was absolutely full. So I got on the bus, and I had to walk the whole way to the back, and there was not a single seat available to the very, very back seat. And there was a kid in the second grade. His name was Ray. And there he sat out on the edge, on the aisle, the only one in that seat. Now he's seven years old, understand. I'm like 17. And this was the only seat in the whole bus, and Ray sat there blocking the seat. I said, Ray, slide over. We, I knew him. He lived. He was a neighbor. And he said, I said, slide over. Nope. <laughs> now, you know, I'm a big, hulking, muscular 17-year-old. <laughs> I couldn't believe that this second grader would defy me. I absolutely couldn't believe it. I, I was sort of stunned. I'm like, Ray, slide over. Nope. I was kind of like God. I just laughed. Ha! What's he? Was he gonna? He think he's gonna stop me from sitting down here? And uh, I'll tell you the rest of the story. I just kind of lowered my butt to his level and went boom, and and just knocked him over against the wall. And I sat down. Hey, this is the part. And this is the part that's very very sad. Uh, he turned to me. He turned to me and said, "I'll give you a bloody nose." And I'll never forget this. He's seven years old now. I turned my face to him and stuck my neck out. I said, go ahead. And he goes, Doop! And hits me right in the nose, and instantly it started to bleed. I knew it as soon as he popped me. I knew my nose was going to bleed. And did he ever feel like he was, you know, he did it. He showed everything. He showed the world. He did what he said he was going to do. And he literally gave me a bloody nose. But um, that's a different part of the story. Uh, I'm, I'm simply saying, in that moment, when Ray is sitting here in the second grade telling me I can't sit down, and the bus is starting to move, and I need to sit down, and this is the only spot, I, I'm thinking, this is funny. It's preposterous. It's absurd. It's so ridiculous uh, that he would think that he could keep... This is what it's talking about. It says, God laughs. And then he says, same thing I kind of said to Ray, slide over. And this is what the Lord says in, in authority and anger. Look, I am scoffing, I'm rebuking you, because here's the deal. Whether you like it or accept it or not, it's a done deal. Slide over. And if I can put the next verse or two there in words, uh, in, a, in a setting, this is what the Lord says to those kings who would rebel against him. And this isn't about politics this morning. This is about our own hearts and the own, our kingdom of our own life and the fact that we don't want him at times to come in and sit on our throne and be our king. And this is what the Lord's reply was. Look, it's this simple. The world has a king. The king is my only begotten son. The peoples of the earth are the inheritance of the son. So when we support missionaries, for example, when they go out into the world and they bring the, they bring the, 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 the gospel to nations, they're really bring, when they bring Christ to the nations, they're really bringing the nations to Christ. This is spoken of to the son of God. You are my son, today I've begotten you. Ask me, I will give you the nations. 
And so when we seek to bring Christ to the people, we're really bringing the people to Christ because they all belong to him. And the, the, the climax or the, 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 the word picture that the Lord gives here is that he says, um, not only will you rule the nations, but the ruling will be and is so definitive that it's as if that uh, what, it's as if the nations are a piece of pottery. This is just a coffee cup. Uh, I, I found it in my house and I don't drink coffee, so I figure, well, hey, well, who needs it? But, oh, can I? <laughs> I should have thought of that earlier. <clears throat> uh, the, the Lord says like this. This is, this is kind of Ray and I in the back seat. They're like a piece of pottery. They're like a, a piece of ceramic. Oh, they're hard and brittle, but they're really so fragile. And my son and the rulership of my son is, is a scepter of iron. I don't, I don't have a hammer. I just found it. Josh, I found this somewhere back in your office. Uh, but, but you know what's coming. You know that... Somebody with a rod of iron, a scepter, of course, is a, a, a picture of the authority of the king. And the Lord says, you're going to rule them with a scepter that's made out of iron. And they're no, they're no more strong than a ceramic, uh, than a cer- I'm probably going to make a mess. I apologize if I do. Not too bad. I'll pick it up. You can see the picture. That, that all the rage and all the resistance and stuff. And, and by the way, this, this resistance against the Lord and the Lord's anointed um, that he's talking about here. When you think about the life of Jesus when he was here, when he was here in the world. You, you can realize that this, this, this started out before he was even born as a human being. You know, we just got through with celebrating Christmas and the fantastic story. And you remember when Joseph first found out that Mary was pregnant? And he said, well, that's going to have to be the end of this. I'll just, I'll just divorce her. I'll just send her back to her village with the news that she's pregnant. And they'll probably stone her. They legally could. And, and that could have been the end of everything. It could have been, humanly speaking, the end of the Jesus story and the, the, all of the plans. But it was like, you know, in that, in that moment, just as Joseph made that decision, that was a pretty fragile decision. That was a pretty fragile moment. And just at that moment, it's like Gabriel came in with, a, with an iron rod and said, Joseph, this child that's within her is the Holy Spirit. He will get, she will give birth to a son. You will give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. Take her as your wife. And bang! It's as if the whole, the whole scheme that Satan was put forth was, was hammered into oblivion by the scepter of iron. You think about the story of Herod. We talked about this on Christmas Day. How, how the devil was going to try to take Jesus' life. But these savvy wise men the lord came along and and in one stroke with one dream re, just just destroyed all this that that um herod had 
had put forth to try to kill Jesus. This happened over and over and over during the lifetime of Jesus. You know, one time, I'll just give you a, a quick example uh, that comes to my mind. One time, they came to Jesus and they said, Jesus, this was now, he's an adult and he's in ministry, and they said, Jesus, should we pay taxes to Caesar or not? And they thought, you know, we got him. Whatever he says, if he says, yep, or if he says, nope, either way, he's just, he's just dead meat. There's somebody, one side's going to take him down. Either the emperor's going to get mad and, 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 and get involved, or, or the people turn away. And, and they felt like, you know, this was a moment where, where the devil was seeking to rise up and make noise and throw off the chains of God. And it's so simple and, and so such a classic way. Jesus said, well, just show, give me a coin. And he looked at the coin and he said, now, if you want to know uh, the answer to the, the, to the battle between God and Caesar, I'll give it to you. Yes. And he just held up the coin. And he said, you know, in God we trust. And over here. And, and he over and over, it was like with, a, with an iron hammer. Uh, I, 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 I was thinking of this one. This is, to me, uh, something we glide, we glide right over. It seems so insignificant. Here, I just thought of another thing. You know, um, uh, when they came to arrest Jesus, and remember there was a mob, and these were Roman soldiers along with the temple police, and there was a, 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 a mentality and a mob of excitement, and and the emotions that got going real fast. One of Jesus' disciples grabbed a knife or sword and whacked off a guy's ear. Now, you know, so quickly that could have deteriorated into a bloodbath. Very quickly. Those soldiers could have said, okay, we've seen all we need to see. They could have just had a slaughter there. And Jesus might even have been killed, but he would have gone down as a political martyr. You know, his followers would have been upset, kind of like the Islamic deal today. Often when a leader is taken out, it just raises up more, extra, more extreme-ism. It doesn't, it often seems to be counterproductive. It would have perhaps been that very thing. But the point is that Jesus would not have gone down in history or come down to us as a spiritual sacrifice. It would have just been a political martyr. And Jesus seen all that, realized all that, and he said, this is a very fragile moment in the plan of God. I, this whole thing could get off sideways, off court. I'm not going to allow that to happen. And Jesus just, with a scepter of iron, just put, put that whole idea to rest. He just reached down on the ground, picked up that guy's ear and goes, throws it back on his head. And immediately it, it, it was healed. I mean... It was amazing. It, it, it was a moment where I am quite sure Satan said, got to go back to the drawing board again. And then, even when he's hanging on the cross, remember at the very beginning of that episode, Pilate came and he came out of his office and they just put Jesus on the cross and Pilate has a big old poster in his hand. And it says, Jesus of Nazareth, King of the Jews. And the and the Jewish leaders and the people who were representing Satan's rebellion against the Son said, oh, no, 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 don't put that up there. Uh, that would be horrible for us. 
Because that would show an approval or a recognition by the Roman government that this man is a king. And that would just, that, that would just destroy everything. You've got to put in there, he said he was king of the Jews. And that was a very fragile moment of what was going to happen. And Pilate said, what I have written, I have written. You will rule them with an iron scepter. I'm simply saying that this is what the Lord is simply communicating. That in our own hearts, in our own kingdoms, opposition to God, ultimately, maybe not in a moment, but ultimately, it's as, it's as, it's as realistic as a coffee cup rebelling against this wrench. It just isn't going to go anywhere. And God says, <laughs> Really? We've got to think of that. We have to, we have to remember that, not just as a nation, as a country, as a culture, but as individuals. So our choice, of course, is between these two realities in life. This is the, this is the choice, ultimately, that you and I have in our world, in our daily lives, in our daily... And I, I just encourage you today, I, I profoundly encourage you to realize that this is, this is a choice that takes you in two completely opposite directions. This is a choice that you make even today as you leave here. As you hear, as you picture, and, and as you leave. Um, am I going to join in the rebellion that from time to time the Lord has to take an iron scepter and bring it down and smash it? Or am I going to, as he says here, kiss the sun? If I'm going to say, am I the one that's going to say, Lord, listen, I am not going to be one that makes a noise. I'm not going to be the angry, demonstrating, protesting, friction-causing, heat-making, warmongering resistance to you. I'm not going to do that. When you say this is the way to live, when you give to me, this is the path to follow, um, I will follow that. That's a choice that we have. And I hope that, I hope that we can realize the, the gravity and the beauty of, of making this right choice. Heavenly Father, uh, in this quiet moment and in this place, we decide things that affect our future. We decide which crowd that we'll be part of, the quiet crowd that applauds and goes along with your decrees or those who raise their fist in protest in, in our own lives, in our own hearts, in our relationships, in, in our in our. In our daily behavior, we, we, we just come here to side with you. We want to kiss the sun. We don't want your iron scepter of anger to be laid across our life, but rather just the opposite. So we come to you today in Jesus' name. Amen. Can we stand?